Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Tyler Coltman. Elliot and Braden are all here. We bought we brought the whole band back together for the first time in the new year, boys. It's the first time we've all convened at the same time. Uh this is this feels special. I feel all warm and fuzzy inside. How about you, Elliot? You feel warm and fuzzy inside? Or just warm? Just warm. Braden, feeling fuzzy? I'm I'm definitely covering the fuzzy side today. All right, so we got the warms and fuzzies all covered. Let's get to it. Here's topic one. All right. Uh, obviously, you know, we're at that time of year, you know, your weekends are consumed with football. Even if you're not watching it, it's just, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, this is the time of year that this is NFL season. We'll call it uh, literally. Um, we're into the divisional rounds. That was a busy two days of football, four games on the docket. Uh, a little bit of everything in those matchups. And then we ended up with uh, the final four here. We'll know who's going to play for the championships and try to get themselves into a Super Bowl in a week's time. But let's cover what we've just seen. So obviously we're recording this Sunday night. All the games have been played. Uh, Elliot, you gave us some sort of picks and some predictions last week a little bit. Um, when you look at how these four games played out, any big surprises for you or did you kind of see what you expected to see for the most part? Obviously we didn't, we had one really tight game. Uh, well, really tight. It was the tightest of the games um, in terms of the the final score of the chiefs Jaguars was only a touchdown. It, the 49ers Cowboys score is tight, but that game really wasn't as close as, as, it, as the score suggested, but for you, what were the, what were kind of the big highlights or, or, or storylines coming out of this week? So I think I felt pretty good about my predictions. I was pretty on point. I felt the Jacksonville, Kansas City game was going to be closer than most people had built it as. Happy to be right there. I think the thing that no one saw coming, uh, and particularly me, and I think is the story of the weekend, is just how disappointing the Bills were. I, I think people really expected that game with the Bengals to be a lot better than that. Uh, and and it, it simply wasn't. And, uh, you know, you can't even blame weather because Cincinnati was managing to put up points. Um, basically Cincinnati's defense had their way with the Bills offense and Cincinnati's offense had their way with the Bills defense. Wasn't a close game. Uh, very surprising, particularly how much had like backstory there was for that. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about it last week. I really expected a really good emotional game. Bills came out flat and frankly, it wasn't even close. Really surprising. I think that's the biggest takeaway this week. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I wondered to myself uh, as the week progressed after our conversation, if, you know, obviously, yes, a lot of emotion, a lot of things to be played for. We, you know, we saw DeMar Hamlin was there. This is the game that never was. There's all those kind of things. It's in Buffalo. So there's a lot of emotion on that front. It was a, basically a blizzard um, as Buffalo is in January. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't, that, that, that is neither here nor there. Both of these teams come from cold cities and they play outside. So they were all prepared for that part of this. This isn't like last or the, the, the wild card game when the dolphins were in town, but it felt like for the first time, at least in the last little while, the, the stage was just a little too big for Buffalo. It felt like they, all of that emotion, they weren't able to focus it in on to on field result it was it's it sort of it was like this cloud hanging over them as opposed to this motivating factor and i i wonder if they sort of just ran out of a little bit of the fuel that it had previously given them um but it certainly didn't look like that and in the case of cincinnati and joe burrow i mean they have unfinished business they they've obviously been to the now back-to-back -back, um 
uh, championship games. And obviously they won last year to take themselves to the Super Bowl. So they, they look forward to continuing on what has been a really positive two years. Um, but yeah, difficult night for the bills for sure. Braden, do you want to jump in on either that game or any of the other, you know, outcomes that sort of surprised you or, or where do you want to go with this? Well, when you get to this point in the playoffs, every team is a good team. So your expectations of these team, you know, their championship contending teams, I think the roadblock that Buffalo faced, like he's just said, is, is a big one. I think one of the biggest, uh, both, um, you know, things to look forward to next season for Jacksonville is that they got this far, but coming out of that game, like it was a close game and Kansas city had a very injured, visibly injured, uh, star, star quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. So moving forward into the next, into the championship round, I, I'm concerned for that Kansas city team. And I think, um, you know, just the firepower that the Bengals still have and the hunger after losing last year in the finals. In the Super so Bowl. Um, Elliot, you know, I, let's, Let's jump in on the the other two for a second. I'll, we'll leave the Cowboys for a second because I also know Braden's got some thoughts on the Cowboys 49ers. But Eagles-Giants wasn't even close. And we talked last week about whether the week off was going to be beneficial or not for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. I mean, uh, coming out of this weekend, with the exception of, I think, Joe Burrow, really the, the, the smart money has to be on the Eagles here because they look absolutely unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a testament to how well coached that team is. I was talking about the fact they hadn't played meaningful football in, what, four, five, six weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I thought that was going to have a real meaningful impact on them, and I talked about it at length last week. I was completely wrong. They came out ready to go. Goes to show you how good that team is. Um, but I think, you know, I would just reiterate, like, I think they're incredibly well coached, and they have to be your favorites heading into uh, – heading into to next week and beyond frankly i mean they i don't know how they're not super bowl favorites they probably are you know it's makers land um and you you saw why this week so Braden, i know i i kind of teed it up there for you but this cowboys 49ers game was a real dud in a lot of ways this yeah. was the one that was hyped in so many ways it's a classic rivalry it's all those things we have a rookie quarterback in the 49ers, Brock Purdy, who's just on this little fairy tale run with them. They look really good. Obviously, the acquisition they made of Christian McCaffrey is paying off. He's playing peak performance as we've seen him do previously, but never on a contending team. And yet they faced, you know, America's team and the Cowboys and this team that has just the longest, most painful. 21st century you know a team that hasn't really seen success since the beginning of the 90s a team that has all the money in the world all the quote-unquote talent in the world all the resources they should have i mean they're the yankees they're the you know i mean they're the cowboys they are literally the cowboys and what like just can we just accept the cowboys just that it's never going to happen like the cowboys are bad they just can't get up there's two different things i wouldn't say never going to happen but like this, it's not going to happen for sure. I, I, I don't want to say never because I do have faith in the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> Coming out of darkness is a possibility. Uh, but this is just, it, it's proving that, that if they're not, that they're not there, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was a boring, very boring game. The, the expectations were very high and it was, it was, you know, below average football. So last week, Cowboys in the playoffs. That's what yeah, it is. La- last week on running down the clock, um, Puya and Tyler were talking, obviously, well, actually I should say two weeks ago before, before we got in here, you know, they were talking about Derek Carr and, and, and Puya was making the argument that he thought, you, you know, Derek Carr was 
arguably better than Dak Prescott. He argued Kirk Cousins is better than Dak Prescott. When you go through the league and you look at these quarterbacks who aren't able to get their teams over that hurdle, and then all of the sort of praise that was hurled uh, at Dak Prescott after a very good wild card weekend, is Dak Prescott really the guy for for the Cowboys? We saw them have success earlier in the year when he was hurt with the backup. I mean, like, is it time for Jerry to go back to, to <clears throat> trying to rebuild this team once again, Elliot? Like, it, it is is the Cowboys experiment just just going to have to continue to roll forward, or do they have enough pieces to go and find one or two things to make this work? It feels like they are perennially a choker. Yeah, I mean, I think this is th- there's this curse so, yeah, that's kind of screaming at you. <laughs> like, Cowboys in the playoffs. Cowboys in the playoffs. I don't know, how many, how long have we been talking about that? Um, I I I was I'm starting to question if Dak Prescott's the guy either. But who else is out there? Who else is available? Well, Eric Carr. Yeah, but I, I guess. But I, is that really like an I mean, you you can talk about marginal differences, but I think this is more of a systemic thing. I don't know. Ezekiel Elliott's coming to kind of the end, although they've had like a good two back kind of set this year that seems to have worked uh, for parts of the year. I I mean, I really, I really don't know. I, they just, they're kind of a middling team and it seems like it's good enough to make the playoffs. It's good enough to win the wild card and then everyone goes home. But we always expect the Cowboys to be so much better than they are. And they just haven't put something together. And but there's oh, eleven guys I... on the field, right? I think it's yeah. way beyond just Dak Prescott or any other quarterback is going to change the team. I think I don't this think is that's true, Brent. I don't think well, that's true. Well, look at it. What were how how did Ezekiel Elliott perform? How did C.D. Lamb perform? Sure, like, but who the holds offense... the ball more than anyone else in a football team? The quarterback is critical to the modern NFL. If you do not have a competitive, winning quarterback who can move their, your your offense forward, it doesn't matter how good your support guys are. Go ask. Go ask half a dozen teams sure it does. what they're missing, and they'll all tell you. Think you think Tom Brady could make it better? To we'd have the won. Finals without, without Rob Gronkowski. He did. No, he won he multiple championships year. without Rob Gronkowski. Yes, it was a valuable asset for him to have, but he won championships without Rob Gronkowski. He wants a champ. He won a championship once with like four guys who hadn't played pr- f- full seasons uh, as wide receivers. When you have an, an elite level quarterback, you have a chance to win every single night. Look at the other four games this weekend, and it. Every single one of those situations, the team that won had the best quarterback. Now, there's an argument: Joe Burrow Niners. and Jake Allen are real close, but they're not there. They're not there right now. The I'm going to make the argument Niners. where that's the only game. That's the only no. game where Dak Prescott should have been the better quarterback, and he lost. That says more about him than his opponent. Now, Brock Purdy th- hasn't think, lost since he came in. But you're discrediting. You're completely discrediting that that 49ers defense and and everything they were able to do, and you know, like to yeah, get there. Maybe. Yeah, but I think you need to be able to score more than 12 points to win. It is Jordan's point, I think. And and I I think the quarterback is a major piece of that, Jordan, for sure. I just don't know that you're going to get anything more than like a marginal upgrade. And I think you know to to the to the crux of your point, I think that there's a more holistic like holistic sort of view that we have to look at this offense from because it's it just doesn't work. It hasn't worked. But it's I I don't I also wonder if there's like a disguise thing or th- there's something like, you know how everyone elevates during the playoffs. I wonder if they're just not elevating in terms of their preparation. It seems like teams have them figured out, but they don't have their opponents figured out in the playoffs. Right. Okay. They so don't have that extra play. They don't have that extra, that thing. I, 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 you know, this feels like an administration thing. 
Um, and let's also not forget, I do not have a lot of faith in teams where you've got overbearing owners. I mean, look at the fiasco that we're talking about in the Canucks right now. Jerry Jones is an overbearing, like he's essentially the general manager of that team. I'm not like, I'm not sure that's the right setup either. You're never going to get away from that. But I think this is the, this is the kind of result that consistently get when you've got someone like that doing a job that they shouldn't be doing. And I, and I, and so I think that's a management thing. I don't know if that's like a player thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. So before we move on to the championship, the conference championship round, I want to throw one more thing at you and just see where this sticks. This is a completely out of left field hot take, but there is like a logical, if you blur your eyes, a logical, uh, replacement for Dak Prescott right now, given the personnel we're dealing with their head coach, Mike McCarthy won a Super Bowl with a free agent this off season. I don't want, there's no reason that Rogers couldn't be the Cowboy savior. He is still capable of playing at a high level. We saw what happened when Tom Brady found himself in a new situation, fresh team, all of those things with the other weapons that the Cowboys do have. And look, you're right, Braden. They have lots of good players. CD lamb, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, like, like there are assets there, but they are missing that key ingredient of a quarterback who can take over a football game and drive down the field. I'm just saying there's a natural fit there. Rogers played his best football under McCarthy and McCarthy could be looking for that one more opportunity to save his job, because I think if it doesn't happen in the next year, he's probably looking for, for a new place to coach too. So I'm just saying it's a very hard. I don't think you, I don't think you'd be off target by suggesting the Cowboys will have a new quarterback next year. Correct. I'm just saying, I, I, I think they would be foolish not to consider last season's MVP. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. The only thing about it is you've got what one, two years with him. Like you're going back to back. He's signing a max contract. This was my argument. Jerry Jones might die before then. Yeah. The Cowboys are always in win now mode. That's how they are built and to their own detriment sometimes. Yes. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, the knock I always have had against Rodgers and Brady in these final years, and I think you're seeing it is because you have to pay them so much. They start to impact the salary, you you know, your capacity to pay other players as well too. And I don't know enough about the, the, the Cowboys financial like salary cap situation to to make a comment any more than that, but just something to watch from. Yeah. I don't hate it. I mean, I I think if you're that desperate to win and you just feel like you need to do it, I, I I wonder if there's much interest from Rogers. I mean, That would, I think that's really what it would come down to. I don't, I don't think it's a question of whether or not the Cowboys would do it. Honestly, he'll probably end up in Vegas, but all right, let's jump to the conference championships here. We know what they are now. We know when they are, and we know uh, where they are. Uh, we have the 49ers Eagles at um, noon Pacific. Uh, that's uh, 1 PM mountain and 3 PM Eastern. The 49ers Eagles. This one feels a lot like, uh, the Cinderella team coming up against the, you know, just the absolute juggernaut. The the Eagles looked absolutely impeccable um, this weekend. And the 49ers, as we said, you know, kind of clung on to beat, a, a, you know, it stuck it out in a difficult game. They are being run by a, a rookie quarterback who has, to this point, been flawless. But um, is this where the 49ers sort of dream season here ends? Or can Brock Purdy pull it out of the bag, Elliot, against Jalen Hurts and the Eagles? Yeah, I think this is going to be another blowout. I mean, I I think the Eagles' defense is just going to be too much, uh, and and yeah, I think this is where the 
the story ends. I mean, San Francisco's got a good team, and also, as Braden mentioned, has a good defense. But if I was going to pick a blowout, uh, I would say this is this is the one. I just think after what we saw from the Eagles this week, um, uh, rookie quarterback in his first national championship game uh, or conference championship game, I think the pressure is going to get to them, and it's just going to be too much. So on the other side, Braden, we have a rematch of last year's NFC uh, champion. Is that NFC? AFC? I don't remember which is which. Anyway, the Bengals and the Chiefs are playing. That shows you how much I really know about the NFL. Uh, The Bengals and the Chiefs are playing in the other conference championship, and it is a rematch of last year. I do know that. And obviously the Bengals were victorious. So Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to be looking for redemption. The big question, I guess, is uh, what is the level of injury in this high ankle sprain from Patrick Mahomes? How much will that affect him? Now, we've seen him play and battle through injuries in the playoffs before and find success. He is obviously an incredibly mobile quarterback. So a high ankle sprain is probably not the kind of injury you're looking for. Uh, and Joe Burrow, again, really does look like he's on a mission here. Um, he's got his his receivers and his, uh, frankly, the entire offense of that Bengals team just clicking. Um, and they made the, the, the Bills look like, you know, they were playing a, a week three game. So this one certainly feels a lot tastier uh, in terms of what's That's there. What do you have? Who do you have? Well, as somebody who has high sensitivity and um, extreme trigger around ankle sprains, uh, I'm worried. I'm really worried for Patrick Mahomes. The way in which he, he flinned the game every time he had to take a step off that back foot to throw the ball. Patrick Mahomes is an absolute elite quarterback, but without his feet underneath him, like that's his game. That's his game, escaping the, from the pocket, running down 20 yards. Um so I, I I don't I think I think we see uh, Joe Burrow and, and and those Tigers back in the back in the Super Bowl and I think they and I think they have a good shot at winning the whole thing this year too. All right. Well, we will find out in a week's time. It'll be as I said, January 29th. That's next Sunday. The 49ers, Eagles, then the Bengals and the Chiefs in that order, and we will find out who will take each other on in the Super Bowl on February 12th. All right. That is topic one. Hey, Tyler. Yeah. Do you like basketball? Do I? (laughs) Well, you're going to love this then. The Backyard Basketball Podcast has returned for its second season. Christian Steck and Braden Deller-Coltman talk hoops every week of the NBA season. No topic from the hardcore is off limits. So if you love basketball, then this show is for you. You can subscribe today anywhere you get your podcasts or learn more on our website, OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Okay. I haven't had the both of you together since the new year, as I mentioned off the top, excited to have you here. And it has come at the perfect time for Oiler fans. We're going to do uh, a little oil or give a little Oiler love here. The Edmonton Oilers are on an absolute heater, six wins in a row. First time we've seen that in well, all this season. And I think they didn't, I'm not sure they had a six win win streak last season either. It's, it's something we haven't seen in a while. It feels really good. And especially considering the opponents that most of these games are played against. Now they, had a difficult loss to the LA Kings about two weeks ago. Um, that was sort of the, the last tipping point, let's call it. It was a six, three loss. And it felt like after that, the Oilers just did not have anything left to, to, you know, they, they it felt like they were blowing these leads. We couldn't see them finding the, the, the turning the corner point and all these things were, it just wasn't working. And then something changed. And the first thing that changed was that Stuart Skinner went home to have, his son. And that was good, important, glad that the Oilers gave him the space to go and do that. It meant that we had to turn to 
someone who has been a very questionable um, piece of this organization since joining it at the beginning of the year, someone who has struggled, he's admitted he was struggling. Jack Campbell in between the pipes, the, the Wednesday, January 11th in Anaheim. And he was fantastic. The Oilers beat a really bad team that they should have been beating, but they dominated. It was six, two the following Friday, they went into San Jose. And again, they put up seven goals in a seven, one victory that really should have been a shutout. Cause Jack Campbell played great again against a bad team. So it was like, okay, good. You gave him a couple softballs here. What's it going to look like when they go into Vegas, January 14th to play the golden Knights, top of the division, huge matchup. The Edmonton Oilers go into the third period. We talked about this last week up four, three, they win the game four, three. It was a gutsy proper playoff feeling win. Jack Campbell was solid. The defense was solid. They played incredibly smart, sound hockey, and they won a game that, we have seen the Oilers often lose. Then they play the Kraken, a team that is directly above them in the standings, a team that they are chasing, and a team that has been overachieving in so many ways at home. A team they lost, I should mention, previously in December, another game they were up to nothing and blew a lead. They beat them 5-2. And all of a sudden now we're looking at the Edmonton Oilers and thinking, where did this team come from? Where did this offense come from? And where did this goaltending come from? Then you have two-time Stanley Cup winners in the last three years, the Tampa Bay Lightning coming into Edmonton. The Oilers beat them 5-3. And all of a sudden, it's like you can't turn the, the scoring off for the Oilers. You couldn't turn it on for most of December. Now you can't turn it off. They go into Vancouver Saturday night here, hockey night in Canada. Again, not a great team in the Vancouver Canucks, but a team that has frustrated the Oilers this season. And again, a team they lost to before Christmas. They went in there. They went up uh, 3-0. They let it get a little close. It got a little hairy there. And yet the Oilers were still able to turn the game on its head in the third period, take control on the back of great plays by Zach Hyman, great plays by their goaltending. That one, of course, Stuart Skinner back in to also see him bounce back. We know now they have three all-stars. The Edmonton Oilers in every way right now are as hot as you can get in the NHL. You got to all be feeling just, you know, sunshine and roses. Sunshine and Roses in Edmonton. I've done my bit. I was very excited to run it down because it's just fantastic. I'm going to turn it over to you guys for a second. You can toot your horns, or if you really want to be the Debbie Downer, you can tell me why I'm wrong in thinking that the Edmonton Oilers are back the way they were supposed to be back. Elliot, you want to start? How how are you feeling about the way this team has turned this around so far this January? I mean, I think it goes back to what we were talking about last week. I think the Evander Kane coming back has had a significant impact on this team. It means that we've got a real, like a full out, full spread out top nine of players that are playing at that caliber. And I know, I don't even think he has a point since he's been back, but you felt his presence. You felt his, um, uh, it's evened out the lineups. Uh, it's meant that McDavid and Drysdale don't necessarily have to play together, but can. And if they can, they you know they've got some protection there, but th- th- they can spread out the lines. Um, and so I think that's really exciting. The team is shaping into what it was designed to be. And if you think about it, like they were they were listing it off on on Hockey Night in Canada uh, last night, and I was kind of thinking about it. And I was like, like, like you, when you look at the, the forward group here and the top forwards, you've got McDavid, Drysdale, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman. Kane. I mean, those are that that's five like superstar level caliber players. I mean, Hyman's got 55 
points this year. Nugent 50 or yeah, 56. Nugent's 56. These guys are point to game players, and they're not even our two best players. Like they, they'd be winning this above point to game, yeah, yeah, and they'd be you know they'd have more off their they'd be leading their respective teams on a lot of other teams in this in this league. So. Um, you know, I, I think the emergence of Evander Kane, the emergence of Clem Costin, as you mentioned last week, but just getting secondary scoring from the folks of like Ryan, um, you know, has been good. I think the benching of uh, Jesse Pugliarvi has shown that, you know, spots need to be earned on this team. Uh, so we're getting back to that situation. The Yanmark's been great. The bottom six has sort of stepped up as well, too, in, in a lot of ways, like, uh, it, it, the team is really rounded out. And I think that that's really nice. And the only weakness on this team, I think is probably inexperience on the defense, but uh, it's amazing what a good goal, good goaltending can do to make your defense look good. Right. So all in all, yeah, I think if this is, this is the team that we've got, I, I feel positive about it. And I think that this is the, I don't think they're going to win the next, you know, 30 games straight or something like that, but I think you can, you can expect them to win more than they lose heading into the end of the season here in the second half the secondary scores like the emergence of the secondary scoring the depth scoring just and it's it's huge it's huge um but i want to talk about the emergence of another guy i have you guys heard of Connor mcdavid <laughs> because the emergence of his actual scoring pace is silly stuff it's it's ridiculous and we haven't seen it yet like we've seen connor but now we're seeing another side of connor that's silly stuff. That's all I can. That's the only way to describe this. I, I think I read something today saying Jamie Ben won the Art Ross in 2015, 2016. He had 87 points total for this season. We're at 48 games and Connor has 88 points. Yep. Silly stuff, guys. Well, again, we saw a glimpse of this during the shortened season in, in the all Canadian um, division where it was like he was over 100 points having played half the number of games that he usually play. And it was like, this is ridiculous. This can't be the pace he continues to plan. And it is. He's on pace again for like 150 points on the season. It's an absolutely incredible pace. He's got the same number of assists as he does games played. And then he also has 40 goals on top of that, which is absolutely ridiculous. The Oilers... You know, it's one thing to say the Oilers have found some depth. I think that's true, but they they really have found their top four guys. They've, they've all elevated to a new level. We're seeing Ryan, Ryan Nugent Hopkins on a career high. He's already got 57 points again. And that's a, that's we haven't seen that out of him since, well, ever. But we haven't seen that kind of potential out of him in such a long time. And the fact that he's doing that while also killing as many power play minutes as he is, is incredible. Uh, Zach Hyman is absolutely insane right now the way he's playing um again on pace for over 100 points and that's a guy who you know three years ago was discarded from the toronto maple leafs because they couldn't quite fit him into what they were doing well he's got more points right now than mm -hmm. austin matthews uh the other one the only the other two things i wanted to touch on elliot you mentioned that like spots have to be earned that's fair i think that that is good we have seen the threat of losing your spot in this roster elevates some players. I don't think it's just Yessie. I think that we've also seen Warren Fogle. When, yep. when Kane came back, the, the reality is they don't have cap space. So there, it, it, it's not so much benching as there's just not enough spaces to go around for full-size NHL contracts. So guys like guys like Derek Ryan, guys like Devin Shore, guys like Warren Fogle, and guys like Yessie Pugliarvi are all going to be on the chopping block. In the case of Devin Shore, he has found himself out of the picture, and he's going to be down in Bakersfield for the 
short term here, foreseeable future, because it just doesn't fit. But Warren Fogle, who was a healthy scratch for a couple of games, has played fantastic during this six game streak. His points aren't necessarily coming, but his chances are. He's had multiple ha- uh, breakaways, multiple plays where he's driving a line that's getting offensive opportunities. I think that's a huge thing to see out of Warren Fogle. He will get those points. He will get himself to a 10, maybe 12 goal season. That's big. Guys like uh, Derek Ryan also elevating to places we haven't seen while they've been with the Oilers. And that's exactly what this team is looking for. Guys like Clint Costin, as we've already talked about, guys that are, Yanmark even has played really great in this little stretch. And that's what's going to make the Edmonton Oilers competitive moving into the playoffs is when they have those guys who can step up on the third line and make those things. The other thing, though, I wanted to push back on the argument that the defense is still the defense we have. I don't believe that's true. I think the defense is also elevating, not to the level that they that we'd all dream that they would be. The Edmonton Oilers are never going to have one of the top five defenses in the, in the NHL based on the money that has been put in the forward group of this team. That's just a reality. We're going to have a pairing that is either rookies or, or base salaries. The question is, can those guys play good enough hockey? And I would make two observations. One, DeHarnay has been a revelation. The size and physicality he brings is exactly what we were hoping Nima Linen would bring but he is doing a much better job of it. He is solid defensively, plays incredibly smart in his own zone. He makes a couple of mistakes you'd expect any rookie to make, the same way we've seen Evan Bouchard last season do, the same way we saw this year do the year before. <laughs> but DeHarnay makes it more difficult for their top players to get to the front of the net. We've seen him muck it up. We've seen him in fights. We've seen him in situations where he is not afraid to be a, you know, a bully back there, and the Oilers haven't had that on defense in years. And then I would like to make the argument that as as much as we would all love to see Darnell Nurse somehow become William Carlson, he's never going to be that. He's not going to be Victor Hedman. It's just a reality. Now, we're paying him to be that guy, and that's frustrating. But you know that Darnell Nurse leads or is tied right now on the team for plus minus? He's at plus 14. He is on the ice for the most amount of minutes of anyone on this hockey team, and the majority of the time he is out there, the Oilers are scoring more than they are letting in. And that tells me defensively, he's doing a lot of the right things. I've seen him elevate his game in a lot of ways. I think the maturity part of how this team has been able to shut down games late in third periods. I go back to that Vegas game where they held onto a one goal lead the whole way through. That wasn't by fluke. That wasn't by overwhelming Vegas in the offensive zone. They had some difficult shifts. They had to kill some penalties. And they did a really good job doing that. I think the Oilers are slowly growing maturing right in front of our eyes, the way we'd like them to say. And I think the only thing that I could say with certainty based on the, you know, all the metrics and statistics and whatever you want to do for the last three years is that never, ever, ever bet on the Edmonton Oilers in December. They, for some reason, they absolutely hate playing hockey in December. Come January, they seem to be able to wake, wake up from their mid winter slumber and they start playing better. January last year was terrible, dude. All right. So December December was worse. December was much worse because we changed coaches late January last year and they went on their they 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 had a great end of January. So they don't seem to play well middle of the winter. Look, they live in Edmonton. Who's really happy middle of the winter in Edmonton? Let's be honest. Things start to thaw out. Games start to thaw out. The Edmonton Oilers seem to be on track. Final thoughts here, Elliot. When you look to the last half of the season. Um, what are the big keys you're going to be looking for or expecting either from Ken Holland in terms of what the Oilers still do need to add or want to add moving into the playoffs or just overall what this team is looking to do to get themselves ready for a playoff run? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things. The first one is health. Like, I just want the team to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kane's loss was really impactful for the first half of the season. It meant things were really off kilter. I still stand by that as really impactful. So I just want this team to stay healthy. Um, and then the next thing is, you know, the trade deadline. I'm really interested to see what Ken Holland does. Generally speaking, a general manager rewards a team that's headed into the playoffs with something. Uh, there's not, there's $360,000 in cap space available to him right now. A piece so has, what, yeah, a piece has to move. So what, so what does that look like? Who's his dance partner? Um, and is that an impactful piece or not? We've seen years where it's been really good. We've seen years where it's basically, I've argued it was literally nothing. Um, so hopefully, you know, that's sort of the next thing for us is, is, is if the Oilers continue to play. And I don't think they have to go on, like I said, a big winning streak, keep this winning streak going. But if they're winning two to everyone that they lose, uh, that's good enough to keep them in the playoffs and probably compete for the divisional title. And uh and home ice advantage, and then we'll just be looking at trade deadline. I think the good thing that the Oilers have done for Ken Holland here is that in the last couple of weeks, they have shown that offensively, they have all the pieces. They really yeah. do. They yeah. they need some defensive help. They're looking for an extra guy. It's probably one guy that they're looking Eric for. Eric Carlson. If you for can make that money work, million. wouldn't we yeah. all love that? But you're not trading Darnell for Eric Carlson. It's just not, it's just not going to happen. But I yeah, I, w- I would see that. And I would see a depth like center uh, face off guy uh, being added to a, a another penalty push. killer. I think another penalty. Well, Something the, like that. Yeah. A Jonathan Taves. One. Did Ken Holland already make his big move though? In, in the fact that Clem Costin is an absolute steal. Well, abs- yeah, he's uh, yes. I don't think you have to think about stopping there. I, I mean, it's just the, great the that offense. they've, I mean, for the offense, uh, for the offense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and the size. I mean, you saw the impact that he made coming in. I wouldn't say replacing the work of Evander Kane, but at least, you know, stopping a bit of that, the bleeding there. So there is one piece of this that I just wanted to ask lastly here. I, I, I noticed it or thought of it last night during the Canucks game. The Edmonton Oilers have a very obvious piece missing due to injury that they have not missed at all. And I think that it demonstrates two things. One, that the depth has, has filled in and been able to play without this person. Are you talking about Yamo? Because you can just say his name. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Do the Edmonton Oilers really need Yamamoto right now? Like, is Yamamo- should Yamamoto not be in the same conversation we keep having about Yessi Pugliarvi as a move? He should. Asset he should. Point? Here's the problem. They're both right wingers. So, like, you move one, you move two, and you're still kind of depleting that right side. We, we, we're kind of struggling on the right side. Zach Hyman can play it, but he's a natural lefty or a natural left winger. I'm just saying right now, the Edmonton Oilers have not missed Yamamoto at all. He has not added anything this season that they couldn't find other places, I guess is my point. And the same argument could be made for Yessi Pugliarvi. The only difference is that I do think Yessi Pugliarvi does add size when he's on the ice, regardless of whether or not he's got finish that Yamamoto simply does not have. And Yamamoto is, you know, as I argued last year, Yamamoto is injury prone and he's on long-term IR right now. Exactly. So if he comes back, is he an asset that you really want to carry with you into the playoffs or is he not a piece that some other team looks at as a reclamation project? I mean, I'm just being silly. I think it's an asset. It's certainly an asset still. If I'm picking between the two guys, I'm taking Yamamoto over Pugliarvi every time. To keep. I take Yamamoto over Pugliarvi. Yeah, I would too. I would too. But I actually do think because of that and likely because of that, Yamamoto is a bigger asset. You could probably pull in more. I don't know if you can re-sign him. You still have to, you're going to have to re-sign Leon here pretty soon. So let's just really quickly acknowledge, as I said off the top, we've got three all-stars here. 
I'm sure you all are aware of this, but let's just play the game of trivia anyway. Elliot, can you name the last Edmonton Oilers goaltender to be an all-star? Curtis Joseph? Tommy no. Salo, the underwear yeah, model. Mm. That's right. Tommy Salo, the last time the Edmonton Oilers That would have been my second guess. Yes. Well, it, it wasn't. You were wrong. You went too far back. Yeah, you yeah. did. I'm not sure Cujo was an all-star well an Oiler, but we'd have oh, to look he must have been. He must have been. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, congratulations to Stuart Skinner on both uh, becoming a father and going to the All-Star game. As um, a rookie. Do, you, do we really believe that this is all fan voting when you look at the players that got in here? Do we believe it's all fan voting? Like, who, who are you contentious with? Stuart? What? No, I, I mean, just the think... the Pacific Division is kind of pathetic. <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, the whole thing just feels a little bit like they've since the whole John Scott thing, I think the, the, the NHL is like it's a fan vote. And then they sort of just pick the players that they kind of want there. Yeah, I, I'm sort of with you on that. I know that they hated, they hated that whole John Scott thing. They hate um, John Scott. <laughs> no, they just hated the showing up. What the hell? Yeah, no, I think but look what right. it did for the look what it actually did for the nhl it was a talking point it was fun it yeah, i think it was a happy fun. accident for them i don't think it was something that they sure. really wanted the narrative of around their their all-star game to be let's see, let's i don't see think they, and i think an all-star team full of fourth liners yeah, the people felt for john scott it was sort of a, you know it was mm. it, it, there is also the side of this it's like oh let's 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 vote a quote-unquote bad player in and then like <laughs> what does it mean to be the bad player like i think there's some comfort <laughs> it was funny and john scott took it really well but i do think that there's some like problematic things around that too so yeah i would love i do think their finger was on the scale in the fastest skitter competition yeah all right well let's uh yeah i don't know i mean i don't know i mean they have to have one player from each team so which i also think i think that's ridiculous because the Arizona no, I think has you a team need a player from every team. I think you need a player. From, I think you're forgetting the years when the Oilers were, were really bad. And yeah, and there were years the Oilers like, didn't have an All Star. Yeah, but there, but, but in the decade they always, when they, they instituted this, I remember that it was always nice that you either had Everly or Hall there to just be like, okay, well at least we got one guy. It made it interesting. I think, yeah, if you if it's a celebration of the league, you need a player from every player. But I would love to. We should do a topic on All Star because I think it's a very interesting conversation. Well, maybe we will when we get there. The All Star games February fourth, so maybe we could do that in a couple of weeks' time. All right, let's leave it there. Uh, that's topic two. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including t-shirts, hoodies, and hats. You can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today by heading over to OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Okay, we're going to do hats off. Um, we haven't done it in a few weeks, and it's sort of one that really works when there's three of us. So let's do it. Uh, I'll go first. Um, mine might feel a little obvious or a little bit kind of cherry picking here. We just talked about the Oilers in Vancouver, but obviously the big story around the NHL, the last whole week, we talked about it last week ourselves on the show has just sort of been the mishandling of the whole firing and not firing, holding on to Bruce Boudreaux in Vancouver, Jim Rutherford and the, the entire Canucks organization, I think just absolutely botched this whole situation. They've really, ah, it's just 
an embarrassment on top of all the other embarrassments they've already been dealt with. But my hat goes off to Bruce Boudreaux for being an absolute and utter professional throughout all of this, not whining, not griping, not going to the media and complaining about it. He's been absolutely um, charming and frankly, um, incredibly human about it. We watched a really difficult press conference where they interviewed him prior to the game on uh, Friday night or Thursday night. Um, the second to last game he would end up coaching and he got quite emotional when asked about it. Obviously the fans in Vancouver have been incredibly generous and considerate, which is something I don't usually say about Canucks fans, but it's been true. Every time there was a um, stoppage in play in that Saturday night game, they were chanting Bruce. There it is, which became a chant. They started when they first hired him over a season ago, the beginning of it, he was quite embarrassed by the whole thing. He even said, you know, publicly, I don't really like the chant because it's about me instead of the team. But I think he acknowledged it by the end that it was it was really meant as a truly heartfelt feeling that the Canuck fans were standing with him, knowing that, look, he was never going to be the guy to, to take them to the promised land here. But they knew he'd been done wrong by an organization that has just continually put its foot in it, run by an idiot. Now they're owned by an idiot, I should say, now being clearly run by idiots. And I don't understand why you would hire how how hiring Rick Tockett solves your problem. Number one, midseason. I don't know why they didn't just elevate Mike Yo and then do this in the offseason. You're not going to win anything this year. If you're trying to rebuild from the ground up here, this is a bad time of year to do it. Frankly, you've also set up a new coach to fail because you've already turned the fans against him. You know, the fans are like, who's this interloper who's come in here? And and the way this was handled is just embarrassing. Jim Rutherford apologized for it today during a press conference. Conference, but it's a little oh, too little, too little, too late. My hat I'm goes off to Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, that that's messy. It's so unnecessary too. Yeah, absolutely unnecessary. He even acknowledged in his interview he had apparently made this decision weeks ago, and Bruce was aware of it. Then why not fire the guy? Let yeah, the guy just off do the hook. put an interim in while you can get the guy. I think it want. was absolutely disrespectful of yeah. a guy who has had an illustrious uh, and very successful coaching career. And a, and a real gentleman. So again, my hat goes off to Bruce Boudreau. Good luck out there. I, I hope he has another opportunity in the NHL. If it isn't, I hope that, you know, he's able to know that at least here at the end of, again, a great career, you know, a special, a special weekend that the fans of Vancouver offered him. And I think that that was really cool. Fun fact about Bruce Boudreau. Do you remember though, the time he got, uh, he, he was fired from Washington. I think he holds the record in the fastest he's ever gotten another job like within 10 minutes he was he was announced the head coach of the anaheim ducks so again a guy i, I, I think hope, that I hope is yeah. unanimously loved around the nhl and that's again why i don't know why they did him so dirty so uh elliot who are you taking your hat off to uh my hat goes off to canadian women's golfer brooke henderson who won a tournament with just the most ridiculous name. So ridiculous. I'm going to share it with you all. This is of she of course won the Hilton grand vacations tournament of champions presented oh. by insurance office of oh. America. <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, despite the name, this was, I believe her 15th tour victory, which is the most tour victories of any Canadian ever man or woman. Uh, and so that's awesome. Uh, it's pretty dominant, and I just, you know, I think that's a remarkable accomplishment that needs had to, should be tipped off to. Um, so there you go. Well Good done, Braden. Round us out here. Who are you taking your hat off to? I'm tipping my hat to Shingo Cunieda, who's the world number one wheelchair tennis player who announced his retirement today. I mean, I can't even count how many uh, Grand Slams titles this guy's won. Uh, he's just uh, he's the guy he's the dominant the most dominant wheelchair tennis player in the world Shingo Kuneda very good 
good choices all around. Thank you both. Nice to have you both here. I really appreciate you putting in the effort to make it here Sunday night. Really do. Uh, warm and fuzzies all around. Great episode. Thanks everybody for listening. As always, please head over to the Ordinary Podcasting Network's website, ordinarypodcasts.com to find out all about this show, all of the other shows across the network. If you are a football fan, Thursdays, check out Running Down the Clock. They are talking playoffs every week and they have lots of fun hot takes for you. Check that out again, uh, Running Down the Clock. Until next week, on behalf of Elliot and Braden, thanks for listening. That was Hatcher. Hatrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.